When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Once again, you're back. We're back. Gravity Leadership Podcast. This is how we do si do. I yeah. was thinking this is how we do it. <laughs> but then I broke I broke off a little hee haw on you. You totally uh, did, yeah. yeah. Country. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Do you know Do-si-do. where the phrase "do si do" comes from? No, Ben. It's probably isn't it from uh, like Sound of Music, like the Do Re Mi Fa Sol. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was hoping you could provide the fun fact about this. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that how that works? Don't I, don't well, what I say if it's fun do, fact and then you... Do, do, re, mi, fa, so. So, do, si, da, la. No, no, no si isn't even in there. Never mind. It's, it's, <laughs> no. not, it's not even in there. It's T. I think it was well, friend. Do, si. Do, si depending on how friend. boring your life is, do, si, that dunk. may have been fun for you, but definitely not a fact, Ben. Definitely, <laughs> there was no yeah. fact involved. I mean, you, yeah, well, uh, you you brought it up. Oh. I just wondered about it. So I was like, hey, where's right. it from that? Well, so, that's kind of yeah. how our relationship works, isn't it? I I create uh, messes and you uh, clean them up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, sometimes I'm is so a dance sad move. that I, I just looked at oh, Christy, I wish you were here too. I know, Christy, yeah, um, it'd be fun. Uh, did you? Uh, you looked All up? I can find online about do do by the way, since we're here. Um, is that it's just a dance move. It's a circular, you know, movement where two people walk mm-hmm. around each other without or almost without turning, i.e. face mm-hmm. the same direction, some wall, the same wall at the same time. And it takes about six to eight counts yeah. to complete, but there's no okay. etymology here. Maybe, so. maybe a listener uh, who has a lot too much time on their hands can track that down or knows it, mm. right? Um, oh, oh, I found it. Sure. You want to hear it? The term is a corruption of the original French term dos a dos. I think mm-hmm. that's how to pronounce that. It's probably, since it's French, it's probably like, I'm probably pronouncing way too many of those consonants. It's probably like <laughs> do a do. Um, but anyway, it's the dance move, and which means back to back, as opposed to vis a vis, which means face to face. So here it is. All that's right. where it comes from. Well, but- okay. We learned something. We, we did learn something. That's great. Thanks for joining us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. <laughs> we'll see you next week for more. Well, I mean, uh, maybe this is a good uh, place to pivot into the podcast because um, mm-hmm. I feel like uh, Sheila Gregoire's back on the podcast. I wasn't here for this one, but she's doing a lot yeah. of good work, kind of like you did there on Google, Ben, to uh, clear some things up. It's <laughs> good, right? good segue. Good work. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Lots of um, research. Lots of research uh, goes into um, this book and the other books that she writes. And she wrote uh, she wrote this one with um, her daughter, with two other yet yeah, with her daughter and uh, another woman. So, but Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach is co-author of this mm. book. So, and the good thing about it is at the very end of each chapter, there's mm-hmm. like these kind of things that you can talk through with your daughter. It's meant for like a mother daughter book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, anybody yeah. can read it, but. Um, yeah. With me having two middle school girls, I feel like, yeah. come on, I'm ready to, to like yeah. practice this and implement this in my relationship right. with my daughters. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's great. I look forward to listening. I have yeah. a copy of the book, um, and uh, as my daughter approaches yeah. the age where we can mm. dig deeper into some of these things, I need all the help I can yeah. get. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate Sheila the work she does and. She's been on the podcast 
Once before, I think. At, at least once before. Yeah. Oh, to you know what? No, there. it's been twice. She yeah. was on with Sarah as well. Um, we had her on to talk about her book, and then mm. I think we had her on with Sarah to, to chat about myths or misconceptions. Oh, you're yeah. right. Yeah. You're right. Yep. Uh, that's right. Yeah. She's got the good things comments. to say. She's a smart woman, and yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm thankful that she's getting getting that research out there for people to benefit from, learn from. Yeah, and I'll so, just say, yeah. I'll just say too, she job. takes a lot of umbrage from uh, she takes some guff from men on the internet who yeah. are bothered by what her research mm-hmm. and data reveals, um, and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, con- she's just constantly under attack. You know, there's this, uh, by the way, uh, maybe just 20 seconds on this. There's this weird spirit of like um, someone who points out with data and facts something that's wrong with a culture you're committed to and identified with. And your first impulse is to attack the person who's telling the truth versus rectifying what the truth reveals about the problems with your culture. Like that move, man, like find people who want to fix things that are broken that they're a part of versus people who are defending and protecting and and blaming at all costs, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's unfortunately super common. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and. And really, I mean, I, I, I find it understandable, right? It's, it can feel super threatening to have your whole, like everything you've sort of built your life on called into question. Like that's mm-hmm. super disorienting, yeah. super mm-hmm. disorienting. But uh, we get into all kinds of trouble if we don't just allow ourselves to be disoriented for a couple seconds and say, wait yeah. a second, maybe, maybe I'll be okay if I oriented my life around <laughs> the truth rather than stayed committed to this, yes, you know, this worldview, this, you know, maybe I'll be okay. I feel, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I like mean, right, and you know, not, not all lies are the same, right? Some lies hurt people. Some lies, your commitment to them is, is being complicit in and contributing to other people's ongoing harm and injury. Like if you want to stay right. committed to the right. fact that aliens visited you on your third birthday and made you a pinata and you hit the pinata and out fell pieces of uranium and you buried them in your backyard, and th- that's your lie. Great, enjoy that. Enjoy that, that for a lie. Really long time, right? But yes. enjoy that lie. <laughs> Tell that lie as long as that lie doesn't lead to the harm of other people. But when when Sheila brings facts. Mm-hmm and receipts mm-hmm. about the ways that male-centric patriarchy cultures are, are, are harmful for women. And women in marriages that mm-hmm. have these commitments yeah. do not experience uh, the same kind of satisfaction and enjoyment. Like, like your commitment to not listening is contributing to the ongoing harm those systems and cultures cause. You probably aren't even listening yeah. to this podcast. I'm probably speaking to Ben. Ben, maybe I'll just... I'll just, I'll just speak to you. Knock it off, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Anyway. But you know, like hearing somebody say that, I think Matt is healing for the person who is listening, who grew up in that, who is in that. And to be able to hear a man say that and call out other men, I think is healing. And so I appreciate Uh, that. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, we need, need more of it. So more power to, um, Uh, Mm -hmm. Power to Sheila and may her tribe increase, so to speak. So, uh, should we get into it? Let's do it. Sheila Ray Gregoire joins us on the podcast today. She is an author, podcaster, and sought-after speaker who is passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex and marriage to line up with kingdom principles. She lives in Ontario, Canada with her husband, and they have two adult daughters and two grandbabies. And we're talking today with her about her new book, which is co-authored with Rebecca Gregoire Lindenbach. I'm assuming that's your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, Joanna Sawatsky. Uh, the book is called She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. Sheila, welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. 
Always fun to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We were just talking about how um, maybe this is your, it's at least your second time, maybe your third. I think it's third. Yeah, yeah, I think it's third. Might even yeah. be fourth, but yes, it's Might been, even it's be been fourth? a bunch, oh my gosh. bunch of times. You, yeah. You will have joined, a, yes, a, a very select group of people that we uh, continue to have on. So <laughs> welcome back. It's great to have Thank you. Thank you. And Christy's here with us as well. Hey, Christy. I am. And mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of this because- I'm so glad that you wrote this book. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two 13-year-old girls and <laughs> myself grew up in the purity culture. And so um, trying to navigate my way through parenting, um, mm-hmm. I'm just thankful for your voice. So thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good. Well, good. We will get into that um, purity culture and um, the responses to all of that. But um, Sheila, maybe we can... Um, just talk about connecting this book to your previous book. I know we've had you on the podcast to talk about The Great Sex Rescue. How does this new book kind of build on that one, and why did you feel that this new book was necessary? Yes, The Great Sex Rescue was based on our survey of 20,000 women, Mm -hmm. and we looked at which evangelical teachings really hurt women's marital and sexual satisfaction. And if you're listening, if you go to Amazon right now and look up Great Sex Rescue and read the reviews – you will see that like the most common words mentioned are like validating and freeing. So women are telling us this is so validating. Thank goodness you wrote this. Like I feel so free. Thank you so much. But then they were like, now what do I do? Because I know this stuff is toxic, but I also don't want my kids to be promiscuous. Like I don't want the pendulum to swing too much the other way, but I have absolutely no idea what to teach them now. I don't want them to grow up like I did, but I don't know what to do. So so we decided to do another huge survey because that's just what we do. Um, And this time we surveyed 7,000 women to find out what experiences and teachings as teenagers in the church, how those affected them long term and which ones were really harmful. And so how can we have different kinds of conversations with our kids that don't hurt them? Ooh, there's a lot of research that went into this book. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) and so I'm curious, what were the questions that you were trying to answer? What, like, what, like, if you narrowed it down to like a few, what were those Mm -hmm. questions? Yeah, so we measured things like um, the modesty teachings, purity Mm -hmm. culture teachings, sex ed, um, and mostly what we were looking at was different outcome variables that really showed later success. Because in purity culture, right, the only outcome variable, the only thing that people cared about was, is she a virgin on the wedding night? Right. Right. Right? Like that was the only measure of success. As long as she gets to the altar a virgin, Mm -hmm. we have done everything right. And our question is, like, is that really the only measure that matters? Mm -hmm. What if we add some other measures to the mix that are probably actually more important? Like how likely is it that she's going to marry an abuser? Yeah. Um, what is her self-esteem like? Because we know that self-esteem is highly correlated with success later in life, with getting a good job, with not having mental health problems, with having good relationships. So like, what's her self-esteem like? Um, what is her marital and sexual satisfaction like if she gets married? Is she married if she wants to be married? Because that's another outcome variable we don't think about. Like, what about all the women who wanted to get married and who didn't and are disappointed about that? Nothing wrong with being single. But it's hard to be single if that's not what you wanted. (laughs) So let's look at some of these other outcome variables. So we measured, um, yeah, just a lot of typical purity culture beliefs. We measured church involvement, um, things they may have experienced at church, and then tried to see how all that played out with all of our outcome variables. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to talk about one. I mean, there's there's a lot in there that I want to talk about. But I'd love to talk about one of the things you mentioned was – how likely is it, one of your outcome variables, you just said, how likely is it that a girl is going to end up marrying an abuser? Um, I'm just curious what, what factors, like, tell us what, what, what goes into that, you know, like how, um, what, what factors are related to um, women who end up marrying abusers? Okay. So basically anything that lowers self-esteem is going to make marrying an abuser more likely. So self-esteem is highly correlated with marrying an abuser. If you think you're not worth this much, you're going to marry someone who agrees with you. Yeah. So that's that's really problematic. Now, the issue is that so many of the teachings that we gave teens lower self-esteem. <laughs> Even and, – and, and we teach girls um, not to have boundaries. Like, for instance – 
Here's one that doesn't have anything to do with sex, but is really prevalent. The joy mentality. Many of us hear this in church, right? Jesus first, others second, you last. <laughs> yeah. That's what you need to live by. Jesus first, others second, you last. So what that tells us is that you need to matter less than everybody else around you. Mm-hmm. So if someone is hurting you, that shouldn't matter because their salvation matters more. Their happiness matters more. <laughs> And that's not even how Jesus acted. Like, right. <laughs> like Jesus, Jesus walked away from crowds when he was overwhelmed. Jesus took time alone. Jesus didn't heal everyone who came to him. Jesus had boundaries, and yet we have largely taught our teens not to have boundaries, mm-hmm. and that results in really, yeah. uh, really awful things long term. Or here, you want to hear a fun one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one of the things we tried to measure was the concept of internalized misogyny, which is a term in research that refers to when women believe stuff that, that makes us think that we ourselves are worth less than men, that we aren't as important, that we need to take up less space. And there's a, there's a number of different measures, um, of internalized misogyny. And the one that we, decided to use was the idea that girls talk too much. So we asked women, as a teen, did you believe that girls talk too much? And this is actually throughout literature, Christian literature for teen girls. Brio Magazine kept talking about how boys don't like girls who talk. So you need to talk less. So anyway, when when women, when they were teenagers, if they believe that girls talk too much, then as adults – they are far more likely to be in marriages where they do a disproportionate amount of the housework. So if you both work outside the home, she's way more likely to do all the housework. So if as a teen you thought girls talk too much, then as an adult, you have a very uneven distribution of household chores. Like, like it's funny yeah. how it how it plays out. Because yeah. you think my opinions are a problem to the people around me yeah. and I need to be quiet because mm-hmm. I'm a bother. Yeah. I need to make myself smaller. Did you ever hear um the idea that that women speak 25,000 words a day and men only speak 12,000? Yeah, oh, I remember yeah. that stat. Yeah, it's crap. Doesn't <laughs> exist. It's there is we we looked at it. there are no citations. You see these in all kinds of books. It's talked about like it's wow. just a thing. Yeah. Um when you trace it back, it goes back to James Dobson in 1983 in his book Love Love for a Lifetime. No citation, not based on anything. And more wow. recently, other people have have run with this, and it caught the eye of the scientific community, who a few years ago started doing a bunch of research on this and did some experiments to actually they they taped people throughout the day to see how many words men and women speak the same number of words. No way. There is no difference. <laughs> That's crazy. That's amazing. And but there is there is a time when they don't. And that is when you are in a mixed group setting. So there was an experiment out of Cambridge University. Um, they put they they formed groups of five with different gender compositions. And you would think, okay, if it's a group of five, everybody speaks twenty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. The only time that women speak twenty percent of the time is if there are at least four women in the group. It had what? to be eighty percent of the group. Had to be if there's only sixty percent, they don't speak the full twenty percent because the men speak far more. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So so it's not that women talk too much. Right. It's that we don't have permission to speak enough. That's yes. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage – 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Well, you talk in, in your book about consent, and I really, I want to hear from you on this because I just found myself, um, I don't need to go into all the details, but the gist of it is uh, Colorado just uh, man, new state mandated sex ed education in my kid's school. And so, um, of course I want to see what are they, what is this going to be? And I Mm -hmm. watched the consent video that they're teaching, that they're using in class. And I think like as growing up in the purity culture, consent was never talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, it just wasn't even mentioned. I don't even know if I knew what the word meant until I was like, you know, a senior in high school. Um, but they're talking about it in seventh grade in my kids' school, and I think it's good. And and hopefully my girls aren't learning anything in sex ed that I haven't already talked like with them about, right? But the video was talking about consent. It was only about intercourse. I want to hear what you think about that. It was only about intercourse. And at the very end of the video, they said, have fun, implying mm-hmm. – you're going to give consent and go have sex, you 13-year-old. And so I found myself like in this like, oh, I totally want to talk about consent and I want to teach my girls more and more about this. How do we do this better is really my question for you. Like how do we mm-hmm. talk about this better and how do we not fly to the other side of the pendulum and kind of go, have fun, you 13-year-old? Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like what would you say to that? Yeah. Yes, just just so everyone knows, our survey definitely showed that having fun as a thirteen year old is not a good thing. Like, right? <laughs> like, like we do not want we do not right. want kids sleeping around at thirteen um, or sixteen for that matter. Like, not having sex in high school is a positive thing for everybody. Right. Um, okay, you said that you didn't know what consent meant until yeah. the, your last year of high school. Yeah. I think it was like. Uh, I'm not the stats person on our team like Joanna Swatsky is, so I I memorized some, but I might get this one wrong. But I think it's like only about 25% of girls who took said that they could give an accurate definition of consent by the time they graduated high school. So in the evangelical church, we we instead of teaching about consent, we just taught abstinence. All we said was don't do it. Um, and we told girls that their identity was based on whether or not they had actually done it. Yeah. And the problem with making your identity based on your virginity is some, that can be taken from you. Yeah. And so when we don't teach girls what consent is, we make it sound like it's their fault. And this was really hammered into us. Um, there was a book by Shanti Felton uh, called For Young Women Only, and that book was heavily excerpted in Focus on the Family's Brio magazine. It was very prevalent um, during the height of purity culture. And she based it on research as well. Um, I'm going to give you a stat. I do not think that stat is accurate. I think her question was poorly worded and the possible answers were poorly worded and she interpreted it wrong. So, <laughs> so please do not believe this stat. But what she told girls was that 82% of boys felt little ability and little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. And then she quoted one of the guys who took our survey as saying, if you want to stop it, it's safest to not even start. Mm-hmm. When we tell girls that boys have little ability to stop, yeah. we are promoting rape culture. That's right. And I've been in many conversations um, on social media and in some other podcasts lately where some pretty big name men have been saying, but you don't understand, Sheila, how high boys' sex drives are. No, no sex drive is ever high enough that you rape someone. That's right. And we need to stop this idea that because boys have such a high sex drive, girls need to be the gatekeepers because this tells girls that if something happens, it's because you started. You got him going. What did you expect was going to happen? Mm-hmm. And we need to start expecting boys 
to actually respect girls and teaching girls that if someone does not respect your no, if they do not respect your boundaries, that's a red flag that they are not a safe person. That is not a sign that you did something wrong. Yeah, interesting. You know, I have six kids. I mentioned this maybe even before we started, but um, from the time my boys, I have boys first, from the time my boy, my oldest was two, we started teaching them when someone says no or please stop, you stop. I don't mm-hmm. care what it is. I don't care if it's like throwing a baseball. I don't care if it because because of this, I wanted them to understand like when someone says stop or please stop or no, whatever, you've got to take that seriously, not just mm-hmm. in a sexual situation, yeah. but in any situation to respect that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, all kids, boys and girls, they've all got to learn this and respect mm-hmm. themselves and each other um, in a deep, meaningful way that actually changes the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so much of this is interconnected. I think you know. I, I keep thinking about uh, what you said uh, earlier, Sheila, about um, the association of low self-esteem with the possibility of marrying an abuser. Because if you don't think that highly of yourself, you tend to. What did you say? You tend to marry someone who agrees with who you. Who agrees with you? Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> and I, I imagine that goes into this as well. That that for for girls to be able to. Um, you know, have the sense that they, that they are allowed to say what happens to their own bodies. Like they do have to have a certain sense of self-esteem, right. Mm -hmm. To say like, well, of course I get to say what happens to my own body. Like, you know, I've got good self-esteem. So I think a lot of these things are, um, are, you know, quite interconnected. Um, yeah, I think part of the problem, I think part of the problem with, with teaching girls that they have the right, you know, to, to say what happens to their own body is first of all, we don't, we don't teach kids about their bodies at all, um, hardly. In fact, girls, when they graduate high school, are more likely to know the words for male anatomy than they are for female anatomy. Oh, wow. So th- they're yeah. more likely to know the words scrotum than they are either vulva or clitoris, mm-hmm. which is a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so the idea of having a say over your body when we don't teach girls anything about their bodies is really problematic. Um, one of the one of the interesting things that makes girls more likely to marry an abuser, and I, it's not – I think that there's something else related to this. It's not that this particular thing causes them to marry an abuser. But if you're embarrassed about your period – so if if you grow up feeling like your period is something that you have to hide that is problematic, you're more likely to you're more likely to marry an abuser because you just feel a lot of shame about yourself. Yeah. Um, and so anytime you can't talk about it, uh, so you can't talk about your body, you feel like your body is a problem to other people. It's going to lower your self esteem. But mm. the other issue that we have is we have taught girls not just that their bodies are shameful, but, but that their bodies are dangerous. Right. So w- when the modesty debate comes in, um, and the modesty conversation, what we have told girls is that you are a danger to the men around you. Yeah. You know, like when my 11 year old daughter, um, when my youngest was 11, she was told by a Sunday school teacher, "You need to be careful what tops you wear to church now that you're developing because the men will." be looking at your chest. So of course I can't get this child to go to church for the next few weeks because she's so grossed out. But but this is the message. Or yeah. when my teen girls were on the praise team, they were told by an elder's wife that they couldn't wear skirts on stage because the men at the front might look up their skirts. The only men who sat in the front row were elders when serving communion. Mm. And, and so we are taught that our bodies are dangerous to adult yeah. men. Yeah. Yeah. That that has I don't feel like that's changed. I mean, no. that was true when I was a kid, but that's yeah. true just recently. I had the weirdest how do I tell the story? Um <laughs> without giving it away. I had the weirdest situation where somebody came up to me and they were like, I know that you're a pastor, but you let your daughters wear two piece bathing suits. And I know you love Jesus, so tell me about that decision. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what to say to this guy, you know? Um, so I guess my question is, how do we talk to our kids and girls and boys better about clothing choices? Like, what do you, mm-hmm. what advice do you give to our listeners who are listening who are like, okay, but I also, I don't know, like they grew up in this. And so like, I don't want my daughter to be wearing 
I don't know, a midriff shirt or something. And, but I also don't want to like make it where she can't wear that. Like, how do we, how do we talk about this in a healthier yeah. way? Yeah. Well, we do have a lot, like at the end of each chapter and she deserves better, we go through exercises that you can do with your daughters to talk about this. And we have really good exercises on um, different ways to frame the clothing choices than around causing someone to stumble. Um, yeah. But before I even answer your question, there, uh, this is something I'm super passionate about, and I want the listeners to hear this. The modesty messages, and we measured four different iterations of them, um, are the most harmful thing that our teenage girls have heard that we measured. Wow. They are absolutely devastating to our girls. Mm-hmm. And so to tell our girls, you need to change what you wear to protect adult men because you are a stumbling block, we are causing our girls to stumble. Mm -hmm. They are 50% more likely to experience vaginismus as an adult. That is huge. Wow. And vaginismus is a debilitating sexual dysfunction disorder where sex becomes painful, if not impossible. Evangelicals suffer from vaginismus at around two and a half times the rate of the general population. And one of the big things is the modesty message. So when you tell teen girls they need to cover up so they are not stumbling blocks for men, you are hurting. You are you are making it more likely that they will they will not enjoy sex later, and they will have horrible pain. That is going to cost thousands of dollars and lots of invasive pelvic floor physiotherapy to figure out. Mm-hmm. It needs to stop. Um, they're also far less likely uh, to have good marriages, so their marital satisfaction. Um, goes down. Their sexual satisfaction goes down overall. So less likely to orgasm, less likely to get aroused, have a lower libido. Um, They're going to have lower self-esteem and the lower self-esteem effects go through to adulthood. Mm. Like the modesty messages are so damaging. And whenever I talk about this, whenever I say you cannot blame girls for what men or boys are thinking, people will say, well, I agree with you, Sheila, but have you seen what girls wear? There is no but. The but needs to go away. There is no but. (laughs) If a girl is honestly showing up basically nude, the answer is not to give her a modesty talk. The answer is to come around around her and say, huh, what's going on in your life? Let's get to know you better because obviously something's up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's really good. I I really appreciate that. I think – and we've talked about modesty before <clears throat> on this podcast and different, you know, maybe with you, <laughs> Sheila. Um, but, you know, it's a complete, it's a complete misunderstanding of what Paul, like, you know, we, we, we quote Paul in first Timothy talking about, I want women to dress modestly, but it's mm-hmm. a complete misunderstanding of what he was talking about. Uh, he, was, he wasn't talking about um, anything like with the messages that we give girls. He was talking about uh, dressing elaborately, um, yep. dress, dressing to sort of show off wealth, dressing to try to achieve status. Like it was a completely different kind of message than, um, than the one that we give, which makes, yeah, which makes women responsible for, uh, men's choices and men's response, you know, something that should be men's responsibility. Yeah. And when we assume, like, think about what our boys are hearing. Right. If we're constantly giving the modesty message, then the message that boys are hearing is, I cannot treat women who are dressed in less clothing with respect. Right. I cannot see a woman who is dressed with more skin showing without lusting after her. And so you are priming him to have a lust problem and to feel hopeless and helpless. But if we instead tell our boys, hey, you know what? No matter what anyone's wearing, you need to treat them with respect, and you can totally do that. Boys will rise to the challenge. Mm. Boys who are not given the all men struggle with lust message have far fewer problems with pornography later on. They do not lust in the same way that guys who are taught that, hey, this is just what being male is. Um, And so there is no reason to give the modesty messages like that. We can just simply teach both boys and girls to dress in a way that is appropriate yeah. <laughs> for the occasion. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, I wonder if you could, we've been kind of talking a bit about this um, uh, in, in specifics. I wonder if you could just zoom out a little bit. Cause I do think, you know, Christy, what you mentioned earlier about um, I think a lot of our listeners are going to resonate with, okay, purity culture, that whole thing is harmful. I know I don't want that. But there is, I think, underneath that, then this fear of like, well, what then? 
mm-hmm. right? There's this fear that the pendulum swings to like, you know, full on promiscuity or, or, you know, like just anything goes, you know, mentality. Have yeah. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I wonder if your research says anything about this, like that, that would maybe be helpful for somebody who is maybe a little bit afraid of that pendulum swinging uh, into mm-hmm. something that might be just as harmful as purity culture. Yeah. So let me give you two different data points. Um, let's talk first about sex, sex ed, because that, that, largely, um, sex had largely changed when purity culture came in because uh, evangelicals especially started preaching, we need abstinence only, we don't want comprehensive sex ed. Um, When we looked at what kids knew in high school, the more they knew, Mm. the higher their self-esteem was, the less likely they were to get into abusive relationships, and the less likely they were to have multiple sex partners. Mm. There is no downside that we could find to more information. Mm. More information is always helpful. It doesn't harm. Um, I think we, we feel like if I tell a 13-year-old what masturbation means, they're going to go masturbate. Right. <laughs> right? People um, totally think that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it isn't, it isn't necessarily true. Um, and if we, you know, obviously you don't want to tell people like the 13 year olds go have fun. Obviously you don't want to do that, but giving people information is -hmm. a good thing. What we did instead in purity culture was we did threats and we did bribes. So the threats were, if you have sex, you will get an STD. You'll be rendered infertile. You could die. Um, uh, Birth control doesn't work. You know, I read, I think it was um, Dan aggression and the bride where white said that there were 13 steps to putting on a condom. I, I, I'm, I literally cannot figure out what the 13 steps are. Like, as I get in the car, drive to the drugstore, like, I don't know what the 13 steps are. How far back are. do we have to go? Yes. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a difficult thing, right? Yeah, but, <laughs> but we scared kids. And in mm-hmm. fact, you know, the stats show that condoms are actually remarkably effective at a whole lot of things. Right. Um, and we should be encouraging kids if they are going to have sex. To wear condoms, absolutely, but you can do that while also saying, you know what? Let's let let's have a talk about what you think is best for you. You know, right. what do you want to do? And we can say, look, here there are really good reasons to wait for marriage for sex if that's what you want to teach your kids. There, but you don't need to threaten them, as in you are going to die if you don't, or you're going to be rendered infertile. We can just talk because our kids are all going to have friends who are having sex who are not dead and who are not infertile. Uh, and so if we're threatening them, they're going to quickly figure out that we're lying to them. Yeah. Right. But then the other thing we did was we bribed them. Right. Right? If you wait for marriage, sex is going to be amazing. You're going to have the best sex life ever. And that didn't happen for a whole lot of people. Yep. Uh, and then that leads to a whole lot of dysfunction in marriage. And so we can just simply be honest. Yeah. You know, we can say, hey, sex is a learning curve. Hey, mm-hmm. sex sex really is something that's supposed to bond you, and it really is supposed to be intimate. And sometimes you can have sex with someone, and then it makes you think you're closer than you actually are, and it can cover up other issues. Mm-hmm. And we want you to make really good decisions when you're mm-hmm. looking at who you're going to marry. And so we don't want you to feel closer to someone than you are. We don't want you to miss red flags because you're having sex. Like let's, let's do this in the right order. Um, You know, we want you to value yourself, to think, to, to value your dignity. We want you to treat the other person you're with, with dignity. Mm -hmm. And so there's really good reasons to wait, but we don't need to bribe them. We don't need to threaten them. And when we do, bad things happen. Yeah. 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 We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, 
go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. It's almost like, Sheila, the, the way that we would, the way that we're treating our kids when we bribe and threaten them contributes to the, the lack of self Like we're not being honest with them. We're not treating them with respect, actually. Mm-hmm. We're, and, and in so doing, I think we end up reinforcing the subtle messages that lead people into all kinds of harmful behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Here, let, me give you, let me give you another example. Um, so sex ed is always a good thing. But here's the other issue with purity culture is what purity culture tried to do was to create all of these rules, which if you followed them would result in the best thing ever. So we're going to give parents a roadmap of how to make sure that your kids end up okay. So we measured dating. We took a look at were you allowed to date and did you date? And so there's four possible outcomes if you think about it in quadrants, right? Kids Mm -hmm. who were allowed to date and dated, kids who weren't allowed to date but date dated anyway, kids, you know, kids who, etc. You, you can figure what's for. Right, yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, um, if you look at it generationally, it's really interesting because everybody was allowed to date until the millennial generation. Like it just wasn't a thing to not be allowed to date and everybody kissed before they're married. Um, yeah. It was only millennials where you start to see, you know, it was only like 80, I think it, it was still 85% of millennials that we, that we surveyed kissed before marriage, but that yeah. was a whole lot that didn't. And that yeah. was unknown. So the whole idea that purity culture was getting us back to this bygone era. No, there never was such an era. Even in Pride and Prejudice, they kissed when they got engaged, right? <laughs> like there was no such thing right. yeah. as waiting waiting um, for the wedding to kiss. And there was no such thing as like not dating. So this was a this was a new social experiment. So here's the here's the difficult thing that I got a level with parents about. There is no one option out of those four options that gives you the best outcomes on every variable. Mm-hmm. There isn't, there is no one size fits all. Yeah. So if you want your kids to get married, then the best out, then, then they should be dating in high school. Mm-hmm. If you want your kid to not marry an abuser, it's probably better if they don't date in high school. Like it's all, <laughs> you know, if yeah. you want your kids to have higher self esteem, the one that ends up the best on most outcomes. So the best the best one overall but it still isn't best on every single outcome variable is being a, um being allowed to date but choosing not to. Mm. And the problem is that as parents you can't control, you don't have control that. Over that. You don't have control over that. Did you research in in all the questions that you asked the how the parents were parenting in the midst of all of this cuz I'm curious to know like you know sex is not something that we just have one conversation with. Well, Mm -hmm. we have one conversation that just keeps on going and going and going and going from when they are itty bitty to when they are married. I mean, I still am asking my mom questions and I'm so thankful I have a relationship with her uh, Mm -hmm. that I can do that. Um, And she parents me in that way. But I I feel like how in your research did you find the influence of parents – continuing that conversation and the relationship between the parent and the child, uh, how does that impact their their future in that way? Well, I think this is where that dating thing comes in. Because if the best possible outcome is is a child who's allowed to date but chooses not to, how how does a parent influence that? It's just because you have a good relationship with them. Right. Often the reason they're choosing not to date is because, yeah, none of these guys around here are really worth my time. I have other things I'm concentrating on. There's other things in my life that are more important right now. Um, I, I have enough self-esteem that I don't need a guy to complete me. And those right. are things that you get yeah. from having a close relationship with your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the closer your relationship uh, with your parents are, the more comfortable you were um, talking to them about sex, the more they handled the period puberty conversations well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the better the outcomes are overall. But it doesn't mean that any parent has to be perfect. I wasn't yeah. perfect. Yeah. Gosh, I, I really messed up, especially with my youngest daughter on talking a lot about sex. Um, but the thing is, we had such an open, an open relationship that when she was 14, 15, 16, we could still talk. So even though I messed it up when she was 11, it didn't really matter <laughs> because you keep having those conversations. And it's all right if it's awkward. They don't care. They just care that you're trying. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that's 
uh, my, I, I've messed up in my parenting so much, you know, as well, but um thankful that I, I still have, I have, I have all older kids. Um, and I'm really thankful that we, we still have a, a good relationship where we can talk, you know, about some of those things. And I think that's just, that's a message that I think a lot of parents um, still need, you know, especially if you feel like you've already messed this up. Um, it, it's just your, your one conversation away from turning this around. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I, I think most kids are, are wanting a good relationship with their parents. They're wanting parents who can lead them, guide them, who care about them and who are interested in their lives. And, um, and so I think it is, it's possible always to, you know, to turn that around and just begin, begin a different kind of conversation. Yeah. Um, I wonder, um, maybe as we get close to wrapping up here, um, you know, uh, this book is primarily meant for moms. Um, uh, this, the impression I got, uh, kind of moms and daughters. Um, but I imagine a lot of women are going to read this book, even if they aren't moms. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they maybe realize that their childhood innocence was stolen from them because they received all these messages. They were taught that they had to take responsibility for all these things so that men wouldn't have to, uh, take ownership of their own sin. Um, and I, I wonder if you would just, what would you want to say to women like that who might be listening to the podcast, might be interested in picking up the book, um, for that reason, just to feel, feel seen and validated, as you mentioned, yeah, we have about a thousand people in our launch team right now for She Deserves Better. And Great. so many of them are single women who are reading it as a way to reparent themselves. Ugh, wow. This is what I should have heard. Wow. This is what I deserved. And I think a lot, you know, it is supposed to be a book for mothers of daughters, but I think so much of it is is really aimed at at moms saying, hey, you didn't deserve this. Yeah. Either because we need to work it through ourselves before we can pass this on properly to our daughters. Mm. And there's a lot of today's moms that were really messed up by the church. The church did not do well by especially the millennial generation, the older millennials. Mm. Um and it's okay to grieve that and it's okay to say I I need I need to figure this out cuz I don't want to be stuck with all these feelings of shame. I don't want to be stuck with feeling like I'm a bother to the people around me. Um, Cause I deserve, I, I deserve to be heard. You know, yeah. I deserve to exist in a woman's body without people judging me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all deserve that. And yeah. I think when moms can realize, Hey, I deserved better. Then it's easier for us to see that our daughters deserve better too. Yeah. Amen. Maybe one last question. How, it, kind of following on the heels of that. How can, people know if they're in a church that is teaching some of this harmful stuff to their daughters and in also what do we do about it? Um, I'm yeah. just curious what you would say to that. Yeah, this is, this is a big, this is, this is really uh, the big thing that we wrote the book about. Um, so here's what the data says. Church attendance and believing in Jesus is good. Okay, you you have higher self-esteem, you have better marital and sexual satisfaction long term. Like it's all great. And multiple studies have found this. It is it is such it is such a um a well-established fact that people don't even study it anymore. Like it is concluded mm-hmm. in the psychological literature that religiosity is a positive thing. But <laughs> as soon as girls internalize these toxic teachings, the benefits of religiosity evaporate. And they would be better off not having gone to church at all. Wow. So when we are teaching girls toxic stuff about modesty, about consent, about boundaries, then they end up worse in, in terms of those outcome variables than if they hadn't gone to church. And so as moms and dads, we need to figure out, okay, <laughs> I don't want my child to be in a place that is learning this toxic stuff. And the problem is that youth groups tend to be way more toxic than the church as a whole. Because in youth group, pretty much the only thing they talk about is sex. (laughs) Right? Like in the wider church, you don't talk about it that much. You really don't. And so you may not even realize the stuff that your child is hearing in youth groups. Youth groups also often are led by people in their 20s who really haven't done the hard work of, of, 
the internal work of figuring out what was toxic that they themselves went through. Mm -hmm. And we just heard from so many girls who were really harmed by their youth leaders, you know, like victims of date rape who went to their youth leader and they were told, what do you expect dating a non-Christian? Or now you have soul ties, so you will be tied to them forever and pieces of you are on them, et cetera. So parents need to know what's going on in youth group. Volunteer, get to know your youth leaders, know your kids' friends, and just be aware that when you are in church spaces that don't allow women to have a voice, it is way more likely that your kids will be exposed to toxic teachings in youth group. Mm. So churches that exclude women are far more likely to teach the modesty messages, the the terrible consent ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um But the good news is that if religiosity is beneficial overall, then there are churches who are doing this well. And I just encourage people to go out and find them or create them (laughs) or um, take a whole bunch of people out of your toxic church and go to the small little church on the corner that maybe needs an infusion of people. (laughs) Like, let's, let's breathe into the healthy ones. Mm. Um, and not prop up the toxic ones where we have to constantly tell our kids, hey, you didn't need to listen to the message this week. Let's work through the message so I can make sure that you don't believe any of it. Like, ugh. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, that's really um, helpful. Um, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you spending some time with us uh, talking about uh, your new research. Um, Sheila, I know that you are more than just an author. Um, you've got a podcast, you've got a, a number of other things going on. Where, where can people find you online if they want to check out more of your work? Yes, you can find me yelling on Twitter quite a bit. Um, but <laughs> the link to that, so if you go to baremarriage.com, um, baremarriage.com, you will find my social media links there. I'm quite active on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, you will find the links to The Great Sex Rescue and to the new book, She Deserves Better. Um, and my podcast is there as well, which which drops every Thursday, Bear Marriage Podcast. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, the book, again, uh, listeners, is She Deserves Better. Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on Self or on Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. Sheila, it was great to have you uh, join us again uh, today on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Ben, you know what my big takeaway is from our conversation? What's that? Is that I really want to. I am intentional, but I really, I'm encouraged to be more intentional with my kids about their value, their intrinsic value that they have, that they are worth something. And that message, I mean, the world like tells them a thousand times a day that their worth comes from other things, you know, like their grades, their clothes, their friends, their accomplishments, blah, blah, blah. But I really want to instill in all of my kids, like your worth just comes because you are you and you are beautiful and you Mm -hmm. like, and to keep building that, because it sounds to me, that is like the number one thing that actually makes Mm -hmm. a difference. Yeah. Um, in their self-esteem, in their sexuality, in their marriage, in their, you know, um, And so I feel like I just want to go hug each of my kids right now and and say, (laughs) I love you. And you're, you know, you're amazing. Yeah. 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 I I was struck by that too, Christy, now that you say that, I think, you know, if you are, uh, there's a lot to think about here, but I think if there is some kind of like, it's not a magic pill, I can't think of a good metaphor, but there's like, that's at the bottom of a lot of what she is talking about. And I think a lot of what our kids in general, and especially our girls, you know, I I think girls in particular, just because of um, the harmful messages uh, of purity culture that are, and that's still, you know, like we still live in this patriarchal, uh, you know, society and all of that kind of thing, like makes uh, girls growing up, I think uniquely um, challenging. It's, it's a uniquely challenging environment for girls and women. Um, more that more so than it is for, for men and boys. But, um, but just that, that fundamental message of your belovedness, your worth, your value, um, I think helps, helps avoid a lot of those harmful behaviors 
that are oftentimes, oftentimes I think it's because they stem from that lack of self-esteem and you're trying to gain some kind of value by, you know, maybe doing something that you'd rather not do, but you feel like you have no other choice because, you know, you just feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just think if somehow we can walk away, if my kids can grow up, become adults and know that they know that they know <laughs> that their foundation is that they have value. Their bodies have value. Other mm-hmm. people have value. Their bodies have value. And so what does it look like to treat my body and somebody else's body with respect yeah. and in a, in a healthy way? Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's parenting 201, not 101 though, because <laughs> it, it does yeah. take intentionality. So yeah. I guess listener, you can go hug your kid. Like I'm going to go hug mine and yeah, there's the truth in them. Yeah. And it's a way of proclaiming good news to them, right? It's, it, yeah. it is the gospel, the you know, the gospel of their belovedness yep. um, stems from, you know, God's, God's love That's right. for, for all of us. And so I think it is one of the fundamental truths that we're all seeking to live into um, each and every day. So anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, none of my, well, actually maybe one of my kids is home from school now, but I was going to say you, you've got all your kids to go hug, but I, uh, I do. three of my kids do. don't live with me anymore. So I'll have to figure we can out. call them, text them. Yeah. Something. You know what? I, I did, I showed this, I did get the sweetest text from my college, uh, age daughter. Um, it was just today, actually. She said, I keep forgetting to give you a big hug when I see oh. you. She just goes to college, uh, half an hour away. Um, and so anyway, so it, that's one of the blessings of uh, my life right now is that she uh, wants to give me a big hug uh, when she I sees me. It. And uh, so anyway, so next time I see her, I will give her a big make hug. sure. Yes. Make sure to give I her a big it. hug. So it's good. Hey, right. can I, can I give one announcement at the end since we don't have a dad joke from Matt? He's okay, not with yeah, us. No, yeah. Instead, we're just giving a Christie announcement. A Christie <laughs> announcement. All right. And that is, I like it. That is, um, I have summer internships available. Oh, just, and just you, Christy, just come to no, your house. No, no, no. Help you with your kids. No. My, oh, well. I see. <laughs> hey, if they want to come do that, I will not You're say like, no. Hold on. Wait a second. I have two um, internship opportunities. No, anyway. my church. And oh, okay. so, um, so we, what I, what the connection with gravity is that we actually go through, if you're my intern at church, we have a student intern and a kid internship. Um, meaning that you work with kids or you work with students, but we do, we go through the find your center gravity book that you guys have written. And, um, and I love, and actually God has worked in and through that book in a profound way in my own life. And so I use it in discipleship. And so that's the connection in the sense of, um, they would go through that. I mean, they would work with me and hopefully have fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if listener, if you've, uh, I'm sure that you would know that you would have fun uh, hanging out with Christy. Uh, that's, it's really difficult not to. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the find your, just to be clear too, find your center is uh, that's the gravity leadership Academy training uh, that we do. And so, yeah, maybe you've thought about going through a cohort, but you're like, well, I don't know if it's in the cards, but Hey, is it, if an internship is in the cards I know for the summer, summer months, intern. it's like starts yeah. when June, something yep. like that. It's yeah. like, yeah, basically June to the end of August or whatever. Okay. We're kind of flexible on dates mm-hmm. based on like college students, like when they're okay. finishing school and all that kind of stuff. But if you're wondering maybe, um, what, what working at a church would be like, this would at least give you a taste of it. Okay. Um, so you can reach out to me. Um, I think it all, gra- Christy at gravityleadership.com. Is that true? It just automatically goes to my personal one. I don't even know my gravity. I'm so sorry. That is true. Yes, Christy, you have a uh, gravity leadership account. It's <laughs> it C- just automatically goes to my other one. So and just, it's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y. That's yes. how we spell Christy. Yep. Yes. Around here. And so, yeah, if you're interested in a summer internship, finding out, what, or just Colorado Springs, you know, yes. it's a yes. beautiful place to hang out for a summer. So, yeah. Anyway, okay. Details Contact me. at Christy at gravityleadership.com. All right. That's my, that's listeners, my announcement. See you next week. Peace. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. 
You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tevy. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.